This is Listen Again with the Bridge, your opportunity to hear Sunday's message. We hope you enjoy listening, and it all starts right now. You guys came to worship today. <laughs> well, we're going to give you more opportunity to do that, so just get ready. So great to get to celebrate with you today, the risen Savior. I, I think about when, when Jesus was crucified... It was 33 AD. 33 AD, there were about 120 true followers of Jesus at that time. Now I just looked this up and in 2020, the World Population Review said there are about 2.3 billion people that claim to be followers of Christ as of 2020. 2.3 billion. That's a lot. How did this message spread so far, so fast? From 11 guys who Jesus said, go and make disciples, these 120 followers who were with them at that time, to 2.3 billion people. The answer, the resurrection. It's what makes the difference. It's the single most significant event in history. It splits history from BC to AD. That means every other moment in history is dated by Jesus Christ's resurrection. Think about that. Easter, again, being the most significant day. Some people think it might be Christmas, but the apostle Paul cleared it up for us in 1 Corinthians 15. It's a whole chapter on resurrection. And I wanna read you what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, three and four. It says this, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. So what's the most important thing to Paul in this moment? He says that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. So the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's the essence, it's the core, it's the foundation of the Christian life. Here's what Paul goes on to say. Look at verse 14 with me. If Christ had not been raised, our preaching is useless. That means my job, I don't even have a job anymore. Think about it. You don't need me up here saying anything if Christ didn't actually raise from the dead. It says our faith is useless. It's empty faith. What's he say in verse 17? If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins and those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. That means those who have died, they're just dead and in the ground, the end. See, the resurrection is the core of our entire belief system. It's what sets Christianity apart from all other world religions. After all, Buddha's tomb is not empty. Muhammad's tomb is not empty. Confucius's tomb is not empty. But Jesus' tomb is not famous for what's inside. It's famous for what is not there. He is risen. Can you say amen to that? Praise God. If you read the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, there's lots of people to blame. I mean, we could talk about two weeks ago, we, we, we mentioned Judas and how he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Clearly, he had something to do with Jesus being on the cross. We could look at Caiaphas, the high priest, 
Pilate, the governor, all these officials who had something to do with it. We could look at the angry mob and we can blame them. But I wanna show you someone else who had something to do with Jesus being on the cross. And for me to show you this, I'm gonna take you to the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 53. If you have your Bibles and you wanna turn there, you can look with me. Isaiah 53. And you're saying, Chad, uh, Jesus' life was in the New Testament. I mean, we read that in the Gospels. Well, I'm taking you back to the Old Testament because we're concluding the series called His Glory, Your Story. With every miracle Jesus performed, with every prophecy that he fulfilled, he was doing all he could to proclaim who he was and what he came to do. And it is his glory that makes our story. There are many prophecies that were fulfilled. We've looked at several over the last couple of weeks. I wanna show you this one today. Isaiah 53, begin reading in verse six, and we're gonna read verses six through 10. It says, all of us, everybody say all of us. That would mean everybody in the room, okay? Nobody's exempt here. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We left God's path for our own. That's every one of us. I mean, I don't think there's any person that can't say at some point, I tried to do it on my own. We've all tried it. Some are still running. I mean, you're Forrest Gump. You're just running your own path. You're just doing what you wanna do. Yet, what's it say? The Lord laid on him, that's Jesus, laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he did without, did it without, excuse me, died without descendants. That his life was cut short in midstream but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong. He had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal, put in a rich man's grave. All of that is true. Now look at verse 10. And I'm gonna show you a little interesting fact here. It says, it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. So we can talk about all those other people that were at fault for, put, for putting Jesus on the cross, but right here it's telling us it was God's good plan to put Jesus on the cross, to cause him grief. What's it say next? Yet, when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life. That means many followers. He will have a long life and the Lord's good plan, there it is again, will prosper in his hands. Did you notice the scripture changed tense? The first part was written in the past tense. And all of a sudden in the middle of verse 10, it shifts to the future tense. I'll show it to you again. Just read verse 10 with me. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief in the past tense. Look at this, yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a life, a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. Why the change in tense? Because this is written 700 years before Christ. 700 BC. Isaiah is telling exactly what's going to happen this was all 
prophesied long before Jesus came. Why? Why would God do this? Why would he send his own son to earth and make him endure the cross? Why would he write all this out, have prophets prophesy years before Jesus came? Why would he go to all of this trouble? It was a demonstration. A demonstration. You know, last July, my son turned 16. And I started noticing now, as I'm driving around town, all of his friends are driving. It's a little scary. It's a little weird. I mean, when we moved here, they were in sixth grade and now they're driving. But when they turned 16, I didn't just toss him the keys and go, good luck, buddy. Go check it out, drive around, do whatever you wanna do. He had to learn how to drive. It's why they get a permit, right? We demonstrate to them. We don't just say, hey, go out there, you turn the key, it'll start up, you can back out of the driveway, pull off and just figure out the gas is on the right, brakes on the left, good luck. No, we demonstrate to them how to drive. This is how you make a right-hand turn. This is how you're going to wait and yield to the oncoming traffic in order to make a left-hand turn. We demonstrate to them. Some of us even demonstrate wrong because we forget that at 15, they're getting ready to drive. So they're watching you drive with your knee as you're texting. And then when you say, don't text and drive, that's coming back on you. We demonstrate in how we teach them. God is demonstrating to us his love. Look at Romans 5, 6, and 8. I love the way Paul says this. You see, at just the right time, not too late, not too early, at just the right time, we were still powerless. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God, demonstrates his own love for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He's demonstrating to us how to love. He's demonstrating to us how much he loves us. Now, just as Isaiah had a change in tense, we just had it again, right here in the scripture with Paul. Look what it says. The last line, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's past tense, but look at the line before that. But God demonstrates, not demonstrated, he demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Again, why the change in tense? Because God didn't just demonstrate his love to us with one act. He continually, repeatedly, constantly, demonstrates his love to us. Let that sink in for just a moment. You ever hear the phrase, it's the thought that counts? I mean, that can be a true phrase sometimes. I mean, it's, it's the thought that counts. But when it comes to proving your love to someone, that doesn't work. Let me give you a little example. Let's say it's your anniversary. Honey, I love you. We've been married for 10 years. I thought about getting you flowers, but I didn't. It's the thought that counts. Doesn't work, does it? 
What, 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 my son, what if I was like, buddy, 16 years old, that's awesome. I love you, happy birthday. I thought about getting you a car, but I didn't, you're gonna be walking. But it's the thought that counts. What if John 3.16 said, for God so loved the world that he thought about giving his only son? It doesn't work. When it comes to proving your love to someone, there's another phrase that I think fits better. Actions speak louder than words. And that's exactly what God did. He put his love in action when he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you and for me. He demonstrated his love and continues to demonstrate his love for us even today. Is that not an awesome thought? If it is, will you stand to your feet and we're gonna worship God again. Let's do that right now. So we understand God demonstrated that love and and put Jesus on the cross, not only to fulfill the prophecies that had been spoken, but to fulfill the plan for humanity. But there's also, he's not the only one that put Jesus on the cross. I mean, we talked about Judas. Again, we mentioned Caiaphas and Pilate and all of these others that were involved, but there's someone else we're leaving out. Someone else who put Jesus on the cross, and that's you and me. We did it. Romans chapter four, verse five, it says, he was handed over to die because of whose sins? Handed over to die because of our sins, but he was raised to life to make us right with God. You know, that, that's a sobering thought that he was handed over to die because of our sins. If, if we hadn't sinned, he wouldn't have had to die. But thankfully, it doesn't stop there. It goes on to say he was raised to life. That's that resurrection again. The foundation of our faith. The reason we can stand here today excited and celebrate is because he was raised to life in order to make us right with God. So the bad news is we sent him to the cross. The good news is the resurrection, because of it, we are made right. But it's important that we understand both had to happen. Had he just died, we're wasting our time today. Had he just died, we're no different than any other religion. Had he just died, we're just showing up to sing some songs, shake hands and pick up some eggs. What did Paul say? He said it just a moment ago, I read it. If Christ is not risen, then our preaching's empty, our faith is empty, and you and I are still in our sins. But that is not how this story goes. Thankfully, he overcame death, hell, and the grave. But if we're not careful, because of human nature and because we are prone to sin, what we tend to do is put more focus on the sinner than we do the Savior. get so focused on us. I'm a sinner. God doesn't like me. Jesus had to die for me. I'm not trying hard enough. I'm not being good enough. And there can be this serious disconnect between Jesus dying for, to pay for my sin and him liking me or seeing me as a good person. 
That's why many of us refer to ourselves like this. Well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Just barely getting through, just barely slipped in. Can I tell you that phrase? I bet that, that's like stabbing Jesus in the heart. Here's why. Yes, Jesus' death was necessary. Yes, Jesus did willingly go to the cross, but the goal wasn't only to pay the debt of sin for the world. The goal was to secure a change in our legal standing before God. It's the word justification. I read Romans 4.25 just a moment ago that says we put him on the cross. Here it is in the NIV. It says he was delivered over to death for our sins, but was raised to life for our what? Justification. After resurrection, our status changed to justify. That means God once considered us sinners guilty of breaking the entire law, but Paul says that Jesus' resurrection was to secure that justification. What does that word even mean? It's a legal change from guilty to not guilty. I got one excited person that could say amen to that. It is a legal change from guilty to not guilty. Again, this is a day of celebration. We had Good Friday. We did the sad, think about it. Now we get to celebrate. He's not in the tomb. And because of that, we are made right with God. In Christ Jesus, we're not merely sinners saved by grace. We stand before God perfect, sinless, spotless, justified. He doesn't keep score. He doesn't look at you as the sum of your mistakes. He looks at us and sees Jesus's perfect, sinless record. That's hard for us to, to really grasp. That's hard for us to comprehend because we mess up every single day. We screw up, we do things wrong. How could we have that view? How can we think, I mean, Jesus, he was perfect. He walked the earth, he never did wrong. But we're filling our lives with things that we do wrong. But it's not because of what we do, it's because of what he do, did that we are perfect and sinless before God. Once we start to understand that, we no longer see ourselves as just a lowly sinner saved by grace. Our relationship with God changes. I am a child of God. I, didn't, I don't have to hide from him. I don't have to wonder if he hates me or doesn't like me or looking down on me. If, if you just consider yourself a lowly sinner saved by grace, you're gonna have those thoughts. But what if your life changed and your mentality changed to think of yourself as having Jesus's perfect sinless record standing before God? I think the amount of people we have here today, I even had some talk to me after first service that said this was for them. There are some people that walk in skeptical of the whole existence of Jesus. And they may say, well, maybe he walked the earth. Okay, you know, we've got eyewitnesses of that. But that whole resurrection thing, I, I don't know if I can just grab hold of all that. I can't wrap my mind around that. Can I tell you that's okay? If you're a doubter, what better place to be than at church on Easter Sunday? It's okay. I hope that you'll discover that the strongest faith isn't a faith that never doubts. 
The strongest faith is a faith that grows through the doubts. Your doubt doesn't disqualify your faith because faith is a journey. It is not a destination. You're not gonna just get there one day and never doubt again. But it's letting your faith grow through the doubts. Believing is what we, excuse me, and what we cannot see is what gives us hope for the future. And Paul just gave us a lot of hope when he said we were handed over, excuse me, he was handed over to die because of our sins. Yes, we put him on the cross. But praise God, he didn't stay there. He was raised to life to make us right with God. So over the last three weeks, we've looked at several prophecies fulfilled by Jesus, showing that it was God's plan from the beginning. The historic evidence is overwhelming. Jesus is who he said he is, and he did what he said he was gonna do. There were even eyewitnesses that saw Jesus after the resurrection. Bible even tells us over 500 people at one time saw Jesus walking the earth after the resurrection. So you got eyewitness accounts. You got all these prophecies that have been fulfilled. But the most compelling, the most irrefutable, the most convincing evidence that Jesus rose from the dead and is alive today sits right here in the room. It's the most compelling evidence of the truth of the gospel is the changed life. You and I are living proof that Jesus is still alive and still changing lives. He's still setting people free. God continues to demonstrate his love for us. That while we are sinners, Christ died for us. Now, if you hung around here very long at all, you'll find that we talk a lot about our story because each one of us in the room have a story. We've even done a series, this is my story. And we let people tell their testimony and we love watching those testimonies of changed lives. That word testimony, it's a little bit of a churchy word. I mean, the only time you hear testimony is in a courtroom or at church. One, they're trying to convict you and one, they're trying to set you free, right? But it's your story. If I were to ask you, what is your story? What is your testimony? Some of you might say, well, man, I, I said a prayer when I was 15 and you know, God changed my life and you're 65 years old today. Well, that's great what happened when you were 15, but you can't fight today's battles on yesterday or 15 years ago's testimony. Yes, that happened in your life. Yes, that changed your life in that moment. I'm not saying that wasn't good, but Jesus is alive and that should be evident in our life today. Not just in what happened years ago, but in what he's doing in your life today. Yes, Jesus, he was betrayed. He was beaten. He was buried. But you know that's not the end of the story. He is alive and he is changing lives. And it is his glory that makes your and my story. I've seen the countenance change on someone's face as they accepted Jesus into their heart. I've seen the shame lifted off of them. The weight as they've made a commitment to Christ in a moment. 
you and I are firsthand proof of the fact that Jesus is no longer in the grave. He is alive. Will you bow your heads with me? this scripture, Philippians 2, 9 through 11. It says, therefore, God exalted him, meaning Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. His glory, his resurrection power, it's what changes our life and makes our story. And maybe you're here today and you came in a little skeptical. I don't know, Chad, I don't don't know. Is the Bible just made up? Are those just stories that sound good? Did he really overcome death? Can I tell you, your doubts do not disqualify your faith. If you just look around you, in this room alone, you will see changed lives, proving that Jesus is who he said he was. And he did what he said he would do. And he did it for you, and he did it for me. So if you're in this room right now, and I'm speaking to you, And maybe more importantly, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And you're saying, I need to get my life right. I need to commit my life to Christ right now. I want to be one of those stories. I want to be an example that Jesus Christ is alive today because of what he's done in my life. I need to surrender my life to him right now in this moment. If that's you, I'm gonna ask you just to raise your hand. I wanna pray for you. Yeah, thank you. raising your hand for me. When you raise that hand, you're making that commitment to God. Surrendering your life to him. Yeah. Anyone else? You can put those hands down. Thank you very much. this prayer with me. I'm just going to ask everyone in the room to repeat after me. And as we do this, for those of you that raised your hand, just asking that you wouldn't just be saying these words, that you truly commit this to Christ right now in your heart. This is not an end goal. This is, again, there's, this isn't a destination. It's a journey. So it's beginning right now for you. As you say this prayer, you're going to be made new. Christ Jesus. So I'm just going to ask that everybody repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe in you. I believe you sent your son to this earth to die on a cross for my sin. I accept Jesus into my heart today knowing that he removes all my sin 
all my shame. I am made new. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for demonstrating that love to me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can we give those a hand that made that commitment this morning? never done that before, or maybe it's been a long time and you have questions, you'd like to know what's next, what to do, you can come to me. My phone number, email's on the bulletin. You can call the church. However, I would love to just talk to you and, and talk about what's next in your life. So glad I got to celebrate with all of you on this Easter Sunday.